That was pretty cool. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Here's a million dollar question. How can August have 31 days and still feel like the shortest month of the year? Where did our summer go? Thanks for being here. Welcome to our Cincy and our Bainbridge and everyone joining us online, our, all of our other campuses. We're glad you're here no matter where you're at on this stage of your faith journey. Today we wrap up our series, No Big Deal, Exposing Our Respectable Sins. The things in our lives that we feel like, hey, they're not a big deal. Everybody's doing them. I'm not hurting anybody. And in reality, God says, hey, they're actually a pretty big deal to me. You know, we began by watching a video. If you're watching us online, you didn't get to see it because of copyright reasons. But if you Google, what is love bike chair, you can watch the video that we just all loved and everyone was saying, aww, when they saw a bike. Because <laughs> there was something pretty cool about the bike. Let me quote what Bill said. He said, I counted a great privilege to care for this woman I've loved all these years and continue to love. He's 50 years in. His wife has Alzheimer's. She has nothing left to give to him. And he continues to give to her. So let me just ask you, what about that story that you and I just saw was so moving? What about it was so unique or different or noteworthy? Help me out. I heard unconditional love. Sacrifice. Commitment. Let me ask you, is the love you saw demonstrated by Bill toward his wife Hollywood's definition of love? Not even close. And yet, isn't this the type of love that you and I hope our kids experience someday? Isn't, doesn't everyone want their daughter to marry a guy like Bill? Right? Doesn't everybody hope that they're that kind of spouse? Don't we all hope to be that kind of person? So the question then becomes, well, what is that love? How do you get it? What prevents us from having it? Why is that such a unique story? Why is that so different? I'm telling you, our world loves the concept of love. The great theologians of the 1960s wrote a song, All You Need Is Love. The Beatles, the great theologians, right? And they were right on track, all you need is love. And yet, what is it about love that... The world wants, but the world can't get because the world's looking for it in all the wrong places. And today we're going to figure out how to get real love, the kind of love you just saw demonstrated, from a place you can't get anywhere else. We're going to learn what it is, and we're going to learn about a respectable sin that trips us up from having it. So here's how to do that. If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, there we go. Um, if you want to use your chair Bible, the Bible next to you, you can grab that, you can use it as page 925. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation today. And uh, listen, if you don't have a Bible app or a Bible and you'd like one, please take the one next to you home with you. It's our gift to you. There's no better investment we can think of than to give you a copy of God's holy word. Before we dive into 1 Corinthians 13, the, the passage we've been looking at all summer as we've looked at respectable sins and the opposite of respectable sins, we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And that's given to us in Galatians 5, and there's this list of fruit that God's building into our lives. 
Does anyone remember the very first fruit in that list? Anybody? I'll, I'll get you started. For the fruit of the Spirit is... Boom, bingo, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, although God begins his list with love, we waited till the end to tackle it for a few reasons, but one of the primary reasons is when God gives us a list, typically the first one is the most important one. And maybe the other reason that he put love first is because it's the... It's not just the most important one, but it's the gatekeeper. It's from this that all these other qualities flow. And, and it's this one that is probably the hardest one for us as humans to not just put our minds around, to put our hearts around, and to demonstrate in our relationship with others. So the fruit of the Spirit that God's trying to build into our life, it begins with this concept of love. But you've got to ask, okay, if all you need is love, according to the Beatles, and if, if the world wants love and the world desires love and everyone's searching for love, what is true love? What is it? And, and I always love in premarital mentoring, talking to couples and asking them, do you love her? That's a stupid question. Because it's, a, of course I love her. You know, and then I'll ask the follow-up question, well, why do you love her? And, and often the response is in the range of, well, no one's ever made me feel this way. And I'll say, okay, it's obvious then you love yourself, but I'm asking why do you love her, right? And, and so we have those conversations because we're so selfish with love. I love them because of how they make me feel, because of what they do for me. No one's ever done this, acted this way, treated me this way before. And that's a very worldly version of love. And God says, no, 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 no. Let me describe love for you. So 1 Corinthians 13. Here we go. Verse 1. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't, say it with me, love others. I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I am proficient with Rosetta Stone and I learn all the languages of the world but somehow don't have the language of love, then man, am I just a bunch of noise. Verse 2, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith, faith that I could move mountains, that's a lot of faith, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, that's generosity, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love, here's God's description of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. I'm having a little mic issue here, guys. They have magic wands back there. You watch. It'll all of a sudden fix. This will be cool. Um, it's probably on my end. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no, what does your Bible say? No record of being wrong. 
I think we're good. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never what? Never fails or never gives up. It never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but what will last forever? Love. Now pause for just a moment. We're people of faith. We're in a community of faith or a household of faith. We're part of a faith family. We believe that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We're people of faith who are all about faith. But God is trying to get through to us that there's something more important, more significant than faith. If you go to the end of this chapter, look at verse 13 and look at what it says. Three things will last forever. Faith hope and love and the greatest of these is love okay so if the greatest of these things is love out of faith and hope and love the greatest is these i am going to need a different mic guys i'm sorry i'm crackling and popping like rice crispy treats the greatest of these things is love then let me think through this with you. I'm going to list the qualities of love. Patient, kind, rejoices in truth, always hopeful, endures, and lasts forever. If those are the things that love is, then let me ask you, what is the opposite of love? Good morning. Woo! I know my problem. The other mic was geared to be in my beard and pick up sound correctly. Totally my fault. I shouldn't have shaved. All right. Here's what love is. Here's what love is. Patient. Thank you for being patient with us this morning. Love is patient. Love is kind. It rejoices in the truth. Our world doesn't understand love, so they don't understand the opposite of love. If you were to ask the average person on the street, hey, what's the opposite of love? Immediately, what word would you hear? 
Hey, sure. So if love is just a strong feeling, I have chemistry or attraction or a feeling of love towards someone, then the opposite of that absolutely would be a strong feeling. I have the opposite of that. I have this instinctive, deep loathing or hatred or dislike for someone. But if love, true love, is this stuff, patience, kindness, the opposite of this stuff isn't hate. The opposite of this stuff is given to us in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a love that's jealous and boastful and proud and rude. It's a love that's demanding and irritable, a love that keeps a record of wrongs, a love that rejoices about injustice, a love that gives up, and a love that loses faith. So until you understand true love, you don't understand the respectable sins that prevent you from having true love. It all boils down to this. Love is the most unselfish choice you can make. A choice to be patient and kind and forgiving with other people. The opposite of that isn't hatred. The opposite of that is selfishness. Selfishness is the number one enemy of true love. And the challenge is selfishness is such a respectable sin. Well, I'm just looking out for number one. I'm just protecting myself. It's just so instinctive and natural to care about myself. What do people think of me? How do people treat me? What have people done to me? And all of my life, I respond to people based on how they treat me, speak to me, act towards me. And God says, no, genuine love is very different. Genuine love is a choice. And it's a choice to love this way. So the question becomes, okay, that kind of love that Bill in our opening video is demonstrating to his wife is clearly a love that's patient and kind and forgiving and gentle and sacrificing, a love that's not giving up. And that's the kind of love our world is yearning for. So the question is, why is it so hard to have that kind of love? And it's a really simple answer. Let me show you what Scripture says about love. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from, where does love come from? Now that seems academic, but don't miss this. Love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God. That's a pretty bold statement. If you love true love, you must be a child of God and know God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The reason that you can only get true love from God is because God isn't just the source of love. God is love. God is not just the source of love. He is the embodiment of love. Everything God says, everything he thinks, and everything he does comes from a heart that is 100% love. The only reason we know what love is is because we know a little bit about God. True love, true love comes from God. So you say, okay, if God is love, well, that kind of sets it outside of me. I've got to go somewhere else to get it. It's not in me. It's not internal. I can't manufacture this. But if God is love, then what does that love look like? And that's an awesome question because 
God gave us an example of his love. And his name was Jesus. And Jesus was the very embodiment of the love of God. Philippians 2, I want you to turn forward in your Bible, and if you use that chair Bible, it's page 947. Philippians chapter 2, I just want to read this with you because it is a fascinating illustration of what love looks like. You don't have to go any further than Philippians 2 if you want to know what love looks like. Here's what the illustration is for love. Philippians 2 verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another. What does it say next? Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. <laughs> now he jumps right into the opposite of love. What does he say? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. You want to know what love looks like? My friend, look at Jesus Christ. Jesus was the action of the heart of God. Jesus was the demonstration of the love of God. He gave up his throne to be born in a manger. He gave up relationship with God to be born with cattle. He lived and walked among us. He was treated like a slave. He was brutally tortured and killed. He did all of that in the name of love because he knew that all we need is love. And Jesus is our ultimate example. And that's why you think, okay, so to have love isn't just a, something that my spouse wants or people in my life wants, my kids, my friends, my neighbors. It's something God wants for me and from me, and his standard is so high. But, but lest you think that this kind of love is just something he wants us to demonstrate towards our spouse or our significant other. God says, actually, my standard is a little bit higher. Check out what Jesus said. But I say, <laughs> have this kind of love, this kind of true love for your enemies. Oh, that sounds easy. Okay, now I know this doesn't resonate a lot with us because you might think, I don't have any enemies. Okay, some of you are laughing and you just admitted you do. But I think most of us would say, well, who's my enemy? I don't know that I have any enemies. Listen, is there anybody that disagrees with some of your positions? Now, is there anybody that's on the other side of the political aisle from you? Are there any political leaders that you didn't vote for that you can't stand? Okay, so now you're kind of getting in the ballpark. Okay? An enemy is someone who's in direct opposition to you. Maybe they don't hate you. Maybe they don't even know you exist. But man... They root for the wrong team. 
They root for the wrong candidate. They stand on the wrong positions. Whatever the case may be, they're on the other side. And God tells us, Jesus tells us, listen, you are to love not just your spouse and your kids and your friends, but I tell you my standard. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Why? Because God is love. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? And Jesus just kind of threw it out there. He's like, listen, if you're trying to love my way, but choosing, picking and choosing the people you want to love, that's still totally selfish. You don't have a right to pick and choose who to love. I've called you to love, and I want you to do it indiscriminately. I want you to do it with no strings attached. I want you to do it regardless of how they treat you, regardless of what their positions are, regardless of how much you can't stand them. My standard for you as a child of God is to love them and love them well. Wow. Love unselfishly. Let me just throw something else. I want to be really frank with you. I think it's easy to come to church and you come to church and you want you want a, a deep message. You want to hear a word from God that resonates with you that's, that's perhaps deep. But some people define deep as something that's complex. Complex theology, hard to understand and it's made understandable to you and you walk away having learned something. And I, and I take issue with that as a definition of deep. And and here's why. When Jesus came to earth, the deepest theologians are the ones he had the biggest problems with. And it wasn't because their theology was too simple. It was because they had walked away from the heart of God's laws. They had stopped loving him and each other well. And so he reserved his harshest criticism for those who were the deepest by our modern definition. I don't think deep means complex. I think deep means having a persuasive call to obedience. Truth with handles on it. In, you know, in, in counseling, I think all of us pastors find that most people aren't struggling because of biblical ignorance. They're struggling because of selfish disobedience. Myself included. And so today, I don't think we need to get more profound with love. I don't, I don't think your need is to walk away from here in a few minutes saying, well, I never knew that before. I I learned something new. I I never saw love that way. I never thought. I don't think your need is that. I think your need and my need is to walk away from here saying, Jesus is awesome. And I need to be more like him. And so in the spirit of that need, rather than go more complex and deep with this concept of love, I'd rather that we just take the rest of our time and challenge one another to love better. And so I have, I have some diagnostic questions for you. Rather than parsing all the nuances of love, mind if I just ask you some questions? Okay, you don't have to answer out loud. But let's start here. Who has God given you to love? Now again, don't limit this to the love of your life your partner, spouse, whatever. 
Who has God given you to love? So who's in your circle? Who's in your orbit? Who do you run across on a weekly basis, on a daily basis? Who's in your home? Who's in your workplace? Who's in your small group? Who has God given you to love? And, and as you've thought of these people, these people that you're running across on a regular basis, so the question becomes, how well are you loving them? Are you meeting their needs? Do you know what their needs are? Have you asked? How are you loving the people that God has shown you? The people in your life, the people in your circle. Here's kind of a follow-up question. This gets a little more specific. Who do you have trouble loving? As, as we talk about this, is there anyone that pops in your mind that they're in your circle, and man, you have a little bit of trouble loving that person? Let me get a little bit more specific. One of the things that love does is love keeps no record of wrongs. So let me ask you this way. Do you have someone in your past, in your circle currently, who you're having trouble forgiving? Now, you don't have to tell me yes. You don't even have to point them out if they're in this room. But is there someone that you're having trouble forgiving? And here's, here's kind of the catch. You might be waiting. You might be waiting till you feel forgiving. And can I just tell you something? You may be waiting a very, very long time. Because forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice of love. And forgiveness is a choice that love will make. And so let me just put it plainly. If you are not forgiving someone, you are displeasing God, and you are not living in love. And I know that sounds kind of callous. You say, Justin, you have no idea what they did to me, and I, and I don't. And you might say, well, if I forgive them, I'm letting them off the hook. Listen, no, love, forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is taking them off your hook and putting them on God's hook. Forgiveness is saying, I refuse to get bitter anymore about this. I release them to you, God. You take care of it how you need to take care of it. I'm no longer going to try to make them pay back. I'm no longer going to try to get revenge. I'm no longer going to try to make them feel bad because they've hurt me. I am going to love them by choosing to forgive them even though I don't feel it and even though they haven't asked me. That is a choice of love. Look at Colossians. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Colossians 3, verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loved. Right? God said, I'm going to demonstrate my love to you. You are my kids. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive who anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Look at verse 14. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. God's saying, man, just like you put your clothes on in the morning, you got to put your love on. And if you put your love on, you're going to have this new mercy and forgiveness and kindness 
to the people around you. And you're going to have this newfound unity and harmony that you didn't think was possible because you're able to love unselfishly. Here's another question about loving people well. Loving unselfishly. Who tries your patience? Now, is there anybody else who can make me feel like I'm not alone in this? Do you have anybody who tries your patience? Maybe you see them on a regular basis. Maybe they're in your home. And man, just seeing them, oh, you feel the blood pressure rise. You feel the tension build. Who tries your patience? If there is someone that you are consistently impatient with, then it just means God's not perfected his love in your heart yet. If there is someone who's really trying your patience and rather than demonstrating patience to them, you're impatient, you're rude, you're harsh, or you're standoffish, or you give them space because you're sick of them, listen, you just aren't loving unselfishly because unselfish love leans toward the people that are hardest to love. Anyone else find this stuff really hard? Okay, it's not just me. Here's another question. How well are you battling selfishness? Right, if selfishness is our respectable sin and it's the number one thing that prevents us from loving God's way, how well are you battling selfishness? Because see, to be selfish is to be human. To be selfish, it pulls me inward. I pull back to how I feel, how I think, what I want. And yet to be loving God's way means I'm pulled outward. I'm pulled outward to others. I'm pulled upwards to God. How well am I doing loving others? First John puts it this way, 4 verse 20. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must, why don't you read this yellow with me? Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Listen, we're getting close to small group season. We do connect groups at church. We encourage everyone to get in a relationship with about a dozen other people. And we don't do it because it's easy. We don't do it because you're going to find 12 kindred spirits, soulmates that you agree with, and you're like, where were you all my life? You're going to find 12 people who are just as selfish as you. And you're going to find it really hard to do life weekly with this group of people. And you're going to be tempted to say, there's got to be a better group of people out there. And so you're going to go on this pursuit of the perfect group. And every group you go into ceases to be a perfect group. Because you're there. Because I'm there. And my selfishness, my humanity is what breaks and causes conflict and tension with the people around me. And yet God tells me to lean into that. We lean into relationships with other believers because Jesus leans into us. And can I tell you something? We're pretty hard people to love. And yet Jesus doesn't complain. He leans straight into us. And I just wonder, man, if, if churches across America were filled with people that just, they loved each other, wouldn't more people want in? 
Boy, if anyone loves that way, I want, I want to be part of that. Unfortunately, it's too often the opposite. Boy, if that's what a Christian is, tell me out. And yet, if we were loving the way that Jesus asks us to love, if we were leaning into difficult people and people we find are difficult to love, people that try our patience, people we clash with, man, that's loving the way of Jesus. And I just, you know, I hear this, I study this, and I just get to a point where I say, okay, God, your standard is just out of my league. I'm glad that you don't expect this of me, do you? I mean, you expect it of Billy Graham, you expect it of some of the top-notch, but you don't expect this of me. And God's like, Justin, you're my kid. Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. I expect my kid. If you love me, you must also love fellow believers. And so I just get to a point where I say, God, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. I've tried. It doesn't work out all the time. And so I think the prayer that I need to pray, and maybe a prayer that you need to pray is found in Ezekiel 36, 26. It's this promise to Israel, but it's a beautiful prayer, a beautiful principle. God says, I will give you a new heart. Does anyone feel like it'd be nice to have a new heart? I don't mean the pump in your chest. I mean the thing that's filled with selfishness inside of us. It would be nice to have a new heart. God says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. What a great prayer. God, I need a new heart. Would you give me a heart transplant? I need your heart. My heart is stubborn and stony. I need a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Listen, you can't love unselfishly by trying harder. I think all of us have tried that. It's just an exhausting way to live. And Jesus put it this way. He says, take my yoke, follow me, take my yoke on you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It should somehow be easier and lighter to follow Jesus. And if I'm just constantly at war with my selfishness, trying harder to be more loving, that's not very light or easy. So I need a heart transplant. I just, I just share with you personally how God's been working on me in this area. I, I'm a news junkie. I love reading about current events. But man, it can make me angry. Reading about current events in New York State, reading about current events and foreign affairs right now in our nation and what's going on in Afghanistan, I mean, I think for all of us, we're heartbroken, but it can lead so easily to bitterness and anger. So here's what God's doing in my life in this area. God's impressed on me, Justin, how well are you loving those political leaders that you disagree with? Well, they're not in my circle, thankfully. No. How well are you loving them? Do you know what God has impressed on my heart? When I get that surge of angst, anger, bitterness, I'm taking them to prayer. And I'm amazed as I've been doing that. I've done it with Governor Cuomo for this past year, and I have been praying for him. And as he was on his way out, all I could think of, this role is his life. He has nothing else. 
he is going to be a lonely guy when he leaves the governor's mansion. He doesn't even have a home. Now listen, some of you in your anger and hatred and bitterness might be saying, good, he can go live under a bridge. But listen, what if God's trying to reach him? And what if he's going to reach him through his people? You say, Jesus can't reach Andrew Cuomo without using you and I to do it. Can I tell you something? Jesus left this earth 2,000 years ago. He left. If he wants to love someone now, he's got to do it through you. We, we, we use this phrase, you are the hands and the feet of Jesus. If Jesus wants to reach out and love someone, he's going to use your hands to do the hugging. He's going to use your feet to do the going. And if your feet aren't going and your hands aren't loving, listen, Jesus ain't loving because he uses us as his kids. And I've begun to pray with a new sense of compassion and love and empathy for these political leaders that, listen, I don't naturally agree with, I don't like. And I'm doing it now for our national leaders, and I'm telling you, my heart of stone is being replaced with a tender heart of flesh. And I'm finding myself loving these people that I couldn't disagree with more. And the more God does that, I'm like, okay, God, that's your heart in me because that's not my heart. That's not the way I feel at all, naturally. God, replace my selfish heart and give me a heart that's tender. Give me a heart that loves unselfishly. In our opening video, here's what Bill said. He said, I am determined to care for her every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally. And I understand that God has put his love in my heart. And because I realized how much God's loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She's my princess and I'm her William. And I wouldn't have it any other way. We love that. That moves us. My friends, God can give us that same heart. Bill's wife has nothing left to give to him. She has nothing left to give to him. And yet he even adds a bike. He adds a chair to his bike so they can continue a hobby that they both used to enjoy together. All you need is love. I don't think this call to love is, is pie in the sky. I, I don't think it's beyond us or esoteric or, or just purely philosophical. I think it's real. I think it's down to earth, and I think it's practical. I think it's doable with Jesus Christ because he is the source of love. Jesus is the example of love. God is the source of love. And you say, okay, if we started to love this way, if we started leaning into difficult people and leaning into people I don't naturally mesh with or have chemistry with or like, if I start leaning towards them, praying for them, being patient with them, forgiving them, and loving them well, what, what could it look like? And that's something I've been contemplating. And so here's what I was imagining. If, if we really got good at this through Jesus, can you imagine having relationships with just no strings? Having conversations and there's no hidden motives. Having wrongs forgiven before bitterness sets in. 
having needs met before the needs are even expressed. Having controversial conversations ending with hugs or handshakes. And having wounds healed through kindness and patience. Can I tell you something? That's what heaven's going to be like. And earth is our dry run. This is our chance to do it here and now through the supernatural power of a God who showed us love with his son, Jesus. And he's calling us to the same love. So this week, this week, I'm going to pray that God will bring a difficult person across your path. <laughs> Thanks. Some of you are like, you don't have to pray. It's going to happen. It's going to happen today. It's going to happen in a few minutes. I'm going to pray that he gives you an opportunity to love well. Because I think, I genuinely think he's giving us these opportunities every day. And in my selfishness, I walk away from him. In my selfishness, I'm harsh, I'm impatient, I'm rude. I'm selfish. And God's like, Justin, I'm giving you this relationship. I'm giving you this person in your orbit, in your circle, in your line of sight for you to love them well. And if they're at a distance and you can't, love them with your hands. Love them with your heart. Pray for them. Stop writing people off that you don't like. You love because I love you. And don't complain about the people I've given you to love because God never complains about us. And what if, I mean, what if we started loving this way? And I'm going to pray that this fall you can get in a small group with 12 difficult people. People that you get to love well for the fall. And it is amazing when God grows that heart of love. It is amazing how he changes your outlook of other people. In Philippians 2, when Jesus left the throne of God to come down to earth, he didn't consider his own needs. He considered our needs. What if we just stopped considering our own needs and started considering the needs of others? How different would our home be, our church be, our groups be? I think God has a higher standard for all of us. And don't let that song get stuck in your head today, but my friends, all you need is love. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, thank you for the way that you're working on my heart on this very issue. Thank you for the way that you've broken me of some of the angst and anger and bitterness that I've felt. But God, I need more work. Would you continually take my heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh? Would you give me the supernatural ability to love unselfishly, an ability I don't have naturally? God, teach me to look out for and care for the people around me. Teach me to look for their needs and meet those needs without being asked. Lord, help us to be people who forgive, who let go. Teach us to be the kind of people you want us to be. 
And thank you from the bottom of my heart for loving me so unconditionally with your never failing, never giving up, never stopping love. We pray this in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen.